Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really happy. I really wish I could have gotten this food delivered today because I don't get to order. I don't order a ton from ghost, ghost kitchens in my neighborhood just because yeah. of virtue of there being so many actual restaurants. Um, but this was the first time I was like, oh my God, I, I really want this. But of course, you know, the, the hardships of living in Manhattan, she doesn't deliver to me um, from, from, Red, or from the Navy Yard. So next time I'm in Brooklyn, I'm just going to have to go pick it up myself, which is also great because it seems like that's a huge part of their concept is they actually have a storefront. You can go and see it. It's not just some, you know, dark kitchen that's, that's just pumping food right. out. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think as folks have guessed it, we're talking about ghost kitchens today. And, um, and we are, this, this is a concept that has just exploded. And uh, we've got someone on with us today that's going to be uh, Kristen Barnett, who's really, really tackled this space and done it really well. So, you know, I, I had a, I had a ghost kitchen in my area that I love to order from. There's not a lot of Thai restaurants in River North in Chicago, down where I live. And I found one at Kitchen United Mix, which is the one it's on. If you're in Chicago, it's on Wells and Wacker. And uh, they had a wonderful Thai restaurant that had a ton of vegan options, vegetarian options. I was so mad. And all the office was really obsessed with them too. That's such a bummer. they went out of business. And I'm like, I've never even like... I know. And you think about it, you're like, I've never even like experienced a restaurant except for walking in and picking up my to-go bag. But whatever they were doing, it was phenomenal. And I'm so, I'm so I upset when they, they closed it down. This was like pre-pandemic. I think it was maybe three years ahead of its time, but called Maple. Yeah. And I used to order their lunches all the time. You couldn't go in and eat there. You couldn't pick it up. It had to be delivery. It was all through a specific app. And I used to love it. And the day they shut down like overnight and I remember there was all this stuff in food media about them selling all their equipment and their, their leftover ingredients for like dirt cheap for like next to nothing. Um, oh. But they made these amazing cookies, these like sugar cookies. And to this day, I wake up thinking about them sometimes. Yeah. And I just know it's like, you know, you're never going to get it again. <laughs> and I'm so <laughs> bummed about it. But uh, that's part of the fun no. thing about this. Now it's like now with all these, never, these new kitchens popping up, like these new concepts that I'm going to have to try out of curiosity when I'm sitting in my apartment someday. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll discover a replacement for this amazing cookie that I can no longer get. Well, I, I don't know. Have you ever tried the pot belly no. sugar cookie? I feel like that is one of – oh, my gosh. No, that, How have you lived? It is like the – it's got – I'm convinced it has a full stick of butter in every single cookie. Ever, <laughs> like they're pretty big. But like it is an amazing sugar cookie. Pick one up. They 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 have nailed the cookie between their oatmeal chocolate chip and the sugar I mean, my cookie. Delivery, my delivery pot cookies belly are always insomnia. Up. I mean they're – First off, because the name, I'd always order them late at night. But yeah, those oh, are those are amazing too. But that was that was you know this is different. This was just like a treat. They, those are nice and meal, hot. You know? It was like their little like gift. So, oh, it was like their specialty thing, like a little add. Yeah, you didn't have to add it to the thing. Oh. It was like part of it. It came with every single order. So now when I think about it, I'm like, I wish I wish I could do it. I'm gonna try to dig around online. I've got to find someone. They must have like ha- you know retro hacked the recipe and posted it someplace because I want to make it. So I'm sure you could find it in the wonderful world of. In the wonderful world of the World Wide Web, it's got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> I have a bunch of questions for Chris, Kristen, you know, considering what we just talked about, like the idea that yeah. this is still pretty untested waters in terms of like a concept, um, but it's clearly got potential and growth.
All right, everyone. So we're excited for our guest today, Kristen Barnett, founder and CEO of Hungry House. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, Kristen, we have so much to talk with you about today. We're really excited you're with us. Um, But before we dig into Hungry House and and a lot of the exciting stuff that's going on for you right now, um, I want to talk with you a little more about the path that kind of led you into the virtual world of restaurants, because I look, I look kind of in your background and, you know, you've worked yeah. in consulting work and things like that. But, and, and I did see that you served for a little while back in the day, uh, but I was just wondering what experiences brought you to where you are now? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a journey um, to this point. I don't think I really anticipated um, where I would land originally. I studied business in undergrad and really expected myself to have a more traditional like business career doing management consulting after I graduated um, and then business school or whatever it was going to be. Right. Um, But actually that path, you know, was somewhat disrupted by personal health challenges. I have chronic Lyme Mm -hmm. disease. Um, If you're familiar, it comes from like a little tick that bites you. And um, unfortunately, if you don't catch it really quickly, it ends up becoming a chronic condition. And so I actually mm-hmm. fell really ill while I was doing consulting. Um, and management consulting is hard for anyone, <laughs> even without a chronic illness. You know, it's a, it's a rigorous schedule. Yeah. So um, it, was, it was hard to manage. And so I felt really sick. And I was thinking about, like, how do, I, how do I change this and not have it just be, like, me taking tons of medicine and then having to do this on repeat the rest of my life? And so I turned to dietary change. And... I went raw vegan, um, which is not for everyone. Wow. It was very challenging, but you know, it was really looking at food as medicine, and I considered it a medical intervention. And I had this miraculous recovery. In three weeks, I went from barely being able to walk, I was in so much pain, to walking with no pain at all. And my doctors wow. couldn't explain wow. it. Um, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I've just been chugging a lot of wheatgrass and, <laughs> and uh, you know, <laughs> reducing stress and, and obviously everything with the diet and, um, and just totally changed the path of my, my life. So after that, I decided to dedicate my career to food. I left that consulting job and took a entry-level role at Dig In, now known as Dig, um, mm-hmm. and basically came in at those really exciting times at a startup where, you know, you are just on hyper growth mode. And so the company tripled in size while I was there um, over the three and a half years. And I was able to serve in a number of different positions. Um, And I actually like credit a lot of, you know, what I'm doing to like, even just my, my early days there, I was answering customer support. And I saw firsthand all the challenges with food delivery and like people getting cold, sweet potatoes, being really upset about it and us having to track down a driver. And so, um, yeah, that's like really where I landed in food in terms of getting into food tech though, you know, that was, um, a product of, you know, helping dig and grow over those years, they needed someone to run their food delivery and ghost kitchen business. This was in 2018, 2019. And so I came in to really stand up a virtual brand. We didn't even call it a virtual brand at the time. Um, and I was just immersed in this world of food tech and blown away by the growth. The business was growing like crazy every single year with no investment in marketing in terms of food delivery. And I just knew that that's where the future was going. And so after I left Dig, I joined Zool um, because ghost kitchens, you know, to me, were just like the coolest thing ever. 
Um, no one knew what I was talking about when I said I joined the ghost yeah. company. This is before the pandemic. Um, but, you know, four months. You joined a haunted house? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like, ah, like <laughs> Ghostbusters. I don't know. And um, But, it, yeah, it was crazy. Four months later, the pandemic started. And, and then everyone was like, Kristen, you actually, like, know what's going on here with food delivery, right? Yeah. So it was a wild, a wild <laughs> case of timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyways, that's how I landed here, um, getting into food delivery and all the fun stuff around it. What a pat. I mean, just the, the basis on, on health being the guiding light in the beginning and then being ahead mm-hmm. of what has clearly become one of the big shifts in the, in the industry before it was seen as that. That's, uh, that's pretty wild. I didn't realize that in the timing when I was looking, when looking you up. That's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's um, wild. <laughs> so speaking of that, you launched Hungry House late last year, and obviously that received a lot of attention. I've read about it a bunch. Um, and you're positioning yourself as the anti-ghost kitchen. So what I'm wondering is if you could tell us a little bit more about what that means to you and why, when you got into this, you saw a need to to build something like that. What was the call to action for you to, to make that happen? Absolutely. So don't get me wrong. We are still a ghost kitchen in many ways. Um, but I think it's like a playful way to question a lot of the fundamentals that maybe are being taken for granted in the ghost kitchen industry. Some of the mm-hmm. things that, you know, I saw being at Zool, obviously, we just had this front row seat to all the different ghost kitchen models that had cropped up during the pandemic. And one thing that was apparent to me was just that all the press and excitement over virtual brands, while amazing in terms of the potential for scalability, still had a lot of challenges, right? Most of the concepts mm-hmm. were chicken wings and fried food because that's easy to execute. And again, like, There's no problem with that. It's a reaction to the operational constraints of launching a virtual brand across a network of independent restaurants. And so it's like this hyperscale model where you're just really like layering brands on top of existing restaurants and playing with, you know, virtual storefronts and these amazing capabilities to create really any restaurant from scratch now and sell it online. And I just, you know, saw this happening. I felt like, well, this is a little broken, you know? There are some negative reviews of these virtual brands. Obviously, the restaurants that are executing them have a lot going on. It's never been more difficult yeah. to be a restaurant operator. And so I just thought there was a huge opportunity to be a dedicated operator, really like ho- like wholly focused on executing virtual brands. And by doing so, actually opening up a lot more opportunity for more creative partnerships. Because on the flip side, you know, I was also seeing a lot of restaurants pursue a ghost kitchen model and say, I'm going to open like four delivery only concepts, you know, out of, you know, my kitchen. But they were approaching it as a chef, right? No plan for customer acquisition, no press, just launching them on the third parties. And then it was crickets after they would launch. And they'd put so much time and effort into these like amazing concepts, great quality food. That wasn't the issue. The issue was discovery. And so I was just thinking about like, okay, well, I want to do something with higher quality. And I want still though, like buzzy, exciting concepts that connect with consumers. And so um, that is how Hungry House was born. It's like, I think there's a huge, huge segment of influencers and content creators that are focused on food. Um, Instagram started, I feel like with people, everyone taking photos of avocado toast, like food goes way back in social media. 
Oh, yeah. Um, right? Absolutely. You probably have some photos it's, of avocado toast. It's changed toast the way, it's changed the way we plated food. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It's changed the way we develop menus. Right? Oh, yeah. it's, it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's super important. It's changed restaurant lighting. You know, you just think about where are people going to get that shot. So food and social media have always been intertwined, but I just feel like there hasn't been a lot of effort towards like monetization of food on social media. And so I thought about how Hungry House could be that dedicated partner so that these amazing culinary voices that inspire millions of people and that resonate with millions of people could actually monetize in a way with a dedicated operator that's also not going to mess up their brand because it's our mission to execute it well. I'm actually curious to talk about like the menu changes that you were seeing. I know you talked about the chicken wings and some of the comfort foods that we saw. And I feel like so many of the folks that we've had on the show that tried out brands and especially in season one said that that was actually what really sold well. And so can you talk to us a little bit more just about that and what you think has this, the hot new thing or the staying power really now? Yeah, of course. So I think that you're right. Like chicken wings are always going to be a classic. (laughs) Burgers, fried food. Yeah. You know, you're ordering delivery. You're like, okay, maybe feeling a little more indulgent. Um, But in reality, I do think that there are just like a number of different moments and use cases for, you know, really great cuisines. Some things I'm paying attention to is obviously like the rise of vegan food that's like never been Mm -hmm. bigger. I think there's huge opportunities there. Um, And even through the lens of like delivery and, you know, more convenience driven format, um, healthy bowls are still like, you know, huge winner when it comes to actually servicing the lunch uh, day part. And so we've thought about like, how we can um, obviously play into what are existing trends, you'll see like vegan food, also burgers with amazing ingredient quality, but also healthy bowls across our menu. And we're not here to like shame those concepts at all. I actually think that, you know, what's happening with chicken wings and burgers, like those are always going to exist. There's always going to be new concepts launching for those foods Mm -hmm. because they're just, you know, classics. But we are really looking to just bring like exciting stories to the forefront that tell you why you should care about the food. And so I felt like, there are all these new concepts being pushed out, but like they were very shallow when it came to why do these exist? And food is inherently Mm -hmm. an emotional like thing. It's, you know, eating is like we could eat anything at any time, but like, why aren't we just eating Soylent? There's a reason, right? It's like, (laughs) yeah, not to mention like, so, you know, my opinion tasted terrible, but like (laughs) we could just be drinking glue full of ingredients, like nutrients, but we don't. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you know, that makes me think about like, we're going to launch, you know, new ideas, new concepts through a digital lens, we need a really powerful story to back it up. And, you know, we're lucky to work with creators that have those stories. They have the reason why this food exists. And I think it's never been more important to communicate that to consumers. I have been trying to do some research on the ghost kitchen stuff because more of my experiences through the pandemic operating have been more with pop-ups in the ghost kitchen. I, I haven't established any delivery concepts like that. And looking for data on it or any kind of like solid information, it's like kind of hard to come by. So I'm excited to talk with you about like, there's probably been a lot of things that have come up in the process of, of launching this in the last few months that you've learned a lot about. Uh, outside of like the menu development itself, I've, I've noticed that like Hungry House, it feels really authentic. We're both in New York and like the people you've chosen to work with or who are working with you, um, it makes it feel like a really well curated experience. Um, 
so clearly the menu is kind of speaking for itself, but are there other things like you mentioned, lunch is popular for these things. Like, is there anything you've learned going through this that's like going to guide you going forward or anything that didn't really work out already that you were thinking would have, you know, taken off? I, I'm just really curious to see what the thing, the, the growing pains have been in the beginning or the, the, the lessons learned have been. Trust 20 is a proud sponsor of the So You Want to Run a Restaurant podcast. Trust 20's ANSI accredited food handler certificate training is the freshest course on the market and made with the worker in mind. It's interactive, entertaining, and the test at the end is even gamified. Yes, you heard that right. Get your new team members up to speed on food safety in no time. Today, right now, this second, you got to do it. Trust 20 Food Handler Certificate Training is available for individual and group purchases. Head to their site, trust20.co, again, that's trust20.co, and sign up for the newsletter to stay up to date because Trust 20 will also be launching a food allergy certificate training this spring. Get your team a certificate today. Oh, so many, so many lessons learned. So obviously, like, I've been really coming my last few years in the industry have been coming through like purely this food delivery perspective but I did know that when I wanted to launch Hungry House I wanted there to be a strong walk-in and pickup presence because those are just far Mm -hmm. more profitable revenue channels and actually a nuance of our model is because we're very clear that Hungry House is cooking the food it actually allows us to have a really great front of house experience because consumers know they're buying well, the casino at Hungry House um, versus like being a pure play dark kitchen where you kind of pretend you're the restaurant. So right. I knew I wanted to do walk-in and pick-up. I did not anticipate how insane the demand would be for walk-in and pick-up where we actually like did not market that we even had delivery the first month that we opened because we were just simply too busy with our customers wow. for walk-in and pick It was like breaking the kitchen. Um I, you know, we're very fortunate to, I think, to like, yeah, I mean, it was just, we're very fortunate and that that's yeah. the higher margin revenue. It's also the best connection to our customers. They literally are looking at the team preparing the food. We have a beautiful open kitchen. And so I was just surprised by that. Um, now, like we've, you know, since been able to stabilize and we're investing in growing out delivery, but it's just been incredible to build that business on top of. Uh, walk in and pick up so that you know obviously our margin structure is advantageous versus a pure play dark kitchen so that was surprising um on the menu another big shock to me that um kind of validated my strategy as well that's been really interesting is that you know we are very focused on bringing to life exciting new intellectual property and so we found that our really successful partnerships are when like in like the menu and the dishes were previously inaccessible either because they were only in pop-ups or they're from like another market or they just existed online but consumers never really like tried them and so this is why again like I'm not trying to replicate existing restaurants because when you try to Mm -hmm. do that you're always going to be off because it's not that chef that team that original team cooking the food as try as hard as you might but it is very hard to replicate that exact restaurant experience. And so we've been most successful when it's like kind of like grabbing intellectual property out of the air and like putting it into the hungry house model, because then it's like releasing pent up demand for something that's never existed before. 
we create the expectations of how it looks and feels and tastes and the whole experience. And we're able to really like tap into this community of people that want that food. And, um, you know, our partnership with Woldy, the Filipino chef is a great example of this. Just the amount of his like bibinkas, this incredible Filipino dessert that we've sold. It's just like, they just fly off the shelves. It's crazy. (laughs) So that's been really cool. I can't wait to go out and get those noodles this weekend. I'm going to make it happen. Even if his blizzard does happen, I'm going to make it it out there. Fingers crossed for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as I think like from the partnership standpoint, I think that's really interesting that you're not, you're instead of like recreating it, you're like, Hey, you're already doing this really awesome. Let's now incorporate you. Yeah. But you talked a little bit about the content and that you guys are telling, you're really focused on the experience and the story behind it. I'm curious how you actually relay that to customers or like how you're doing that. Because I feel like when you go on, like if I go on to Ghost Kitchen website or and there's virtual brands on there, there's like you said before, there's not really much. So yeah. what do you think is your sweet spot and how are you, what, what's making you different in that sense? Yeah. So, you know, I really thought about this because like any restaurant listing on a third party delivery app, I mean, it's like so optimized. It assumes that you yeah. already know the restaurant. So you're just going to place an order. And so it's obviously like they have teams of engineers and product managers that are just like, how do we maximize conversion? However, that's Mm -hmm. not really conducive to a virtual brand, right? Because like then you're just staring at the name and you're like, is this real? Is this fake? Who's behind it? Like, why does this this here? And you can't answer any of those questions. And so, you know, for us. Or I need a bunch of photos. Right. And it's like. Yeah. I don't know what to do with this. And so then, you know, I was talking to some students at Cornell um, where I sometimes guest lecture. They're like my Gen Z focus group pretty much. And I was like, how do you guys feel about virtual brands? And they're like, they're like, everyone thinks Gen Z's are going to be very excited about like chicken cluck cluck extreme, you know, some silly name. And they're like, we see right through that. Like, we're digitally native. We're going and Googling, does this exist? We see the Yelp reviews. We're like, nope, this is not good. <laughs> it's not going to be cool. Yeah. And, and so anyways, I think this the way virtual brands have been launched, to your point, Claudia, like I feel are, are just, again, it's shallow. There's not that depth um, that you would get right. from existing restaurants that list on third parties. So, so our approach is that, you know, we want to create like almost this like, bear hug of like information that's helpful and validating for why this food exists, who the person is. And that's a big part Mm -hmm. of why we invested in building out like our proprietary ordering platform, where you can see both like content and commerce, we didn't want just their name. And here is all the menu items, but rather we wanted a photo, we wanted a little bit of a snippet on on the ethos behind the food, you scroll down, you link into their Instagram, you can see them on TikTok, you can click through a photo gallery, you know, it just brings it home. It feels like I just spent 10 minutes on I spent spent yeah. 10 minutes on Molly's Instagram page before we started the interview. So I, I know see? exactly what you mean. Right. And see, like, you leave it. Too. <laughs> You've got a well, fully converted customer right here waiting, <laughs> waiting to put his credit card in as soon as the delivery window time opens. <laughs> But also, too, like in terms of what you're talking about, like talk about not getting anything by Gen Z. um, I'm also curious to see because like obviously one of the big things in this has kind of been this is age old in the restaurant world. And I also don't really think I can come up with many examples of this being done incredibly well for the non chef celebrities. But the celebrity aspect of the guests, the 
ghost kitchen stuff. Uh, and, yeah. and full disclosure, like I've, I've heard you in interviews kind of like bring this up before, but I think I'm really interested to hear what your take yeah. on like that use of marketing is and like that talk about borrowing someone else's uh, notabil- or notoriety yeah. or fame to try to build these these products because everything I've read online so far, I haven't like ordered anything from them myself yet, but objectively read a bunch of reviews, professional reviews, and it seems like they're still kind of ironing that out on that level. So I'm just really curious to see what you have to say about it because you're building a similar product yeah. without using Celeb. Right. Um, so I think there are like a few different pieces of the puzzle to kind of like break apart on on that. Um, one, I think like we all are, I think we are all attuned to the fact that obviously these audiences that follow the celebrities are wildly valuable. Like they, these people are making tons of money off of sponsored posts you know, sure. uh, Kylie Jenner built Kylie Lipkit, like a billion dollar company off of her Instagram following. Oh, so yeah. I think that it's very real. The fact that you can create brands that are mm-hmm. anchored by an existing passionate community that follows a person and believes like in that lifestyle and the products that they utilize. Now, um, so I think like celebrity and followings, like we certainly do that just at a small scale. I kind of feel like I want to I want to support, you know, food celebrities, whether they are nascent at the beginning of their journey or even if they're further along. And by working with them, we get to lift up all the voices we're currently featuring. So I, I want to play in that space. Um, and I'm like open to really any partnership with a person who has like a very compelling point of view on food and has the following that is like excited about what they're doing. Um, so I, I'd say I'm like still playing into a lot of the same dynamics, but I want to do it through a very like genuine angle where I'm not plucking a celebrity that is known for like singing and then saying they should so go like, and you doing the BTS meal from McDonald's. Yeah, you know, for... I'm, I'm not necessarily <laughs> looking. Yeah. I'm looking to do like food voices with food, right? <laughs> because I think. Right. Like, I think that their followers trust them. And if they're like, hey, you should order this food, I think I think they would. And, and we've seen the results that they do. They they want this food. And so, um, you know, celebrity brands. Yeah, it's it's a thing. And, you know, Mr. Beastburger is relatively successful, I would say, in driving a ton of demand across the country. Some of the metrics they've released are just so impressive. Their first three months selling a million burgers I'd be very curious to understand how many people order a second time. But we do know that Mm -hmm. these audiences can convert. And so I'm still excited about the power of social media, the power of these creators to, you know, launch new food businesses. And we really want to be a part of doing that because launching a food business has never been harder. And so we can um, we can connect the dots for them to still make an impact without all of the financial and operational risk usually associated. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And I think too, when you talk about, I, I don't know, for me, I keep thinking of like food influencers versus celebrities, like you said, and I think you're, I think you're spot on and in, in focusing on that group. Also, uh, although I know it, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of restaurants also complain about, complain about the influencers, but I suppose the way that you're working through it is a little bit differently. You're on the, the chef the chef side of it, less of the, less of the cheese pull, uh, more of the actual like, yeah, right. the lifestyle. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't think I'm going to be like working with 
and just someone who has like the the cheese pull photos I, I right they're they're like interacting <laughs> with food but they're not like pushing the conversation forward on food and so sure I'm excited for those people that you know are are gaining a following because what they do is just like generally very interesting to people and that's what I'm like truly mm-hmm. like creators in the sense that um, and there's like an interesting discussion happening right now the difference between influencer and a creator and I think creators are like growing um especially with the rise of tiktok and just the type of yeah. content you can do and people making food has never been mm-hmm. more exciting or dynamic content for people to engage with i was just wondering because when we're talking about like content and things kind of getting new things in front of people you've talked about part of hungry house's model being something like called seasons like a season system yeah. where the offerings are going to mm-hmm. update kind of regularly which is you know that's that's normal for the restaurant world specials happen every day but it's this seems like there's a little more to it and i was just wondering what's that going to look like uh when you guys roll it out because you're still a relatively young company so uh that that just seems like an interesting element to the business to me to keep it fresh and interesting how is that going to look yeah so um we are super excited for season two rolling out this spring um can't just we are too for our show season two (laughs) right everyone's excited for season two um (laughs) but yeah I mean for me um you know I come from the world of dig where we changed our menu all the time um actually literally based on seasons and so you know I I would have like the fortune of being able to go tour farms and planning like our menu six months in advance deciding like how many fields of broccoli they would grow. It was really cool. And I think that idea. Oh, that is cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's like a whole other podcast on that experience. It was amazing. I know. I'm like, that's so hands-on. Wow, I love it. Take a dig to the next level. Oh, man. You were ahead of the curve on supply chain stuff, too. That's that's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) It it was really fun. And so um, so that that idea, though, of menu change, I feel like is really important um, in terms of engaging with your customers. And this was the really important thing that I learned there, which was that our menu changes, maybe like we didn't launch the next greatest hit and our special didn't like outperform versus our iconic chicken thighs, right? But it was actually fine because the main value was like all the marketing Uh that you could drive around is a reason to talk to your customers and say, hey, something awesome is coming. They'd be like, oh, that looks interesting, but actually I'm just reminded to go and order from Dick. And so that's what we're looking to do with our changes. Um, For the seasons, it's a larger change. We anticipate that season to season, not all of our chefs are going to continue on with us. And that's actually by design. Some of them are just looking for a short-term four-month partnership to promote like something new that they're doing, or it's a gap before they take on another huge project. Others though Mm. are like, give me all the years you'll give me, Kristen. So there's a spectrum, right? But we have a framework to really guide our partnerships based on each person's unique business goals and then obviously setting up for success within Hungry House, so setting up our sales targets, et cetera. Um, Now, the idea is, like, really just came from, like, we should make this, like, a movie premiere. Early designs of our web platform almost looked a little too much like it was a new talk show or, like, reality show, so I, I dialed that back, but... (laughs) <laughs> that ethos still, I think, applies where I want to say, like, hey, we've got the, like, brand new contestant. And, like, here's all these amazing things about them. We get to throw a party in their honor, you know, and 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 really tell their story and take a, a moment to, to share that with our customers. 
And what's really cool about it for the business model is that this person, you know, gets to bring all of their audience into the Hungry House ecosystem. And our our existing like chefs and their brands and menus benefit from that. Um, but also they their existing customers also get to see something new. And so it creates this like really exciting dynamic where, you know, I think we can just drive a lot of discovery, a lot of hype, um, a lot of media, like, you know, the social media from, you know, our original season one launch was fantastic. We hope to build on that um, and just make sure that, you know, with each subsequent launch, the brand is like, you know, the hot new thing and, and Hungry House is a part of bringing that to life. So I think it's interesting because you're so chef driven, like everything you're doing is very, very, is putting like the chef in the middle of it, but you're also super technology driven as well as part of this whole overall experience. So, um, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit more about the technology involved in this and some of the things that you've done that have been really paramount in actually making this operation run so smoothly. Yeah, it was, um, definitely prior to launch, I took a moment. I was like, have I created just like a, a crazy monster? Like all these brands executed side by side. How are we going to do this? But in reality, you know, in terms of organizing the tech stack, we run ourselves like we're any other, you know, QSR primed for growth. So we have an entire recipe management platform. So all my chefs can look at the recipes on an iPad see prep steps, pictures of how the food is supposed to look, and we're able to manage quality really successfully. We also have, you know, kitchen displays throughout the every station in the kitchen, so they know exactly what to make at what time, um, with any modifications, um, et cetera. So, and, and then finally, like, when it comes to the customer side and all of the channels through which we acquire, um, acquire them, we wanted to ensure that everything was integrated and ultimately came into the kitchen on one screen. Like that is just so critical for us. So um, everything that we've done is built on top of Square. We've had like an amazing relationship with their team to power our kitchen mm-hmm. display systems, um, as well as like work with us on our unique needs as a multi-brand ghost kitchen operator and obviously everything we're doing on our um, platform side. And so they've been a great partner and it was paramount to me that I, um, you know, I, I have this unique opportunity where I get to create this kitchen model from scratch and do it right. And I've been a part of so many other teams where we were retrofitting technology into our operations. And so we've just been really fortunate to tackle that from, from the jump and be able to launch with a system that has all the different parts talking to each other, making, you know, our operations a lot easier. Sounds like it. That's. That's really cool. Yeah. I, um, I mean, we're getting to the point in the interview where like you've already, there's obviously so much room to grow for the company. You guys have already accomplished so much. Um, but not to get a, you know, too far ahead of what you've already got going, but you're based in New York, but you have designs on being in other cities too. And I'm like wondering what that process look like for you, because, um, I feel like this is something that could work anywhere you put it, but I just, it's like, mm-hmm. how do you plan on scaling this? Because as we all know, that expansion process, especially when you're not physically around, uh, for some people can be very difficult to kind of execute. So what's your plan or what's your vision for that? Yeah. So our vision for expansion is like, as you said, Hungry House is uniquely capable of fitting into pretty much any market when it comes to being able to curate the right intellectual property. 
Now, of course, as we grow, we see ourselves starting to um, basically like create, like stratify our different partnerships. We're likely going to have some national chef partnerships, but we can always cater to a local market with a voice that is ultra relevant there as part of our chef lineup. And so this is one of the advantages that we have when we think about expansion. In terms of how we're actually like, you know, creating like a framework for expansion, you know, we're really excited about expanding into cities that are very dense and that also mm -hmm. are like seeding new food trends. And so we're particularly excited and, and like have that strong connection to like media and where we see a lot of people going to like discover new food experiences or just in general interact with like art and culture and events and and are part of like the local like you know hype of whatever that market is. So we're we're excited about going to Miami. We think that that's just a, a really vibrant market when it comes to all the new investment down there, as well as just the now like very strong connection between New York and Miami that exists and, and Miami with really any other market. Um, we also think about LA as being a prime like area for us to expand into when we think about just the opportunities from like brand partnership perspective and the strength of the food community there with all the new concepts that are popping up. Um, and pop-ups, you know, I have a friend out there running a really amazing pop-up. And so um, we're looking at those markets for expansion. And when we think about, like, as you rightfully called out, the difficulty inherent in, you know, actually scaling an operations-driven model, we have another advantage in the sense that we don't really need to build out, like, $1.2 million fancy huge storefronts that have dine-in and everything. Um, that's a part of a lot of the modern fast casual brands experiences. Rather, we get to pretty much drop into any kitchen that's like a standard um, kitchen equipment set, fryer, flat tops, oven, etc. But because so much of our you know experience and brand lives online with our digital real estate, you know we're we don't need that big front of house kind of investment. So we have our kiosk ordering and great shelving for our pickup orders. And someone staff to provide hospitality, but we're a lot more nimble, I would say, than your average, you know, kitchen operator. And that affords us the ability to expand, whether it's through partnership with hotels and their kitchens or residential buildings in those kitchens or really any second gen space, um, you know, is a totally. good fit for us. Yeah. For sure. I can definitely see the audience overlap there and just in general the environment of each of those cities. So I guess like last question here, and then we're going to do the tasting menu round, which is a lightning round. Um, okay. So say projecting out, say five to 10 years, what do you think the ghost kitchen space looks like in general? Do you think, and in that sense, I guess, are there any advancements that aren't quite here yet that you think will evolve the industry even further and will really shape this space? Yeah. So, um, in five to 10 years, I think that we are going to see um, a huge rise in the multi-brand ghost kitchen operator. I think that like the future looks like um, truly a bifurcation of high-end experiential driven dining where they are so busy in their dining rooms, they do not need delivery. Their experience does not translate to delivery. So they are not thinking about it. And then on the other yeah. side, I see all the brands converging to a point where they're highly digitally oriented. They are all using kitchen display systems. They have their tech integrated. They're primed for pickup and delivery. And their price point is probably in that $10 to $20 range 
where you're looking for convenience, you're competing on price within the marketplaces, and you have to be optimized operationally and technically to sell food through a variety of channels. Those are like the two key endpoints I see happening in the industry over the next 10 years. And then specifically for ghost kitchens, you know, I think that we are seeing just a lot of innovation when it comes to the way that restaurant brands are diversifying their revenue streams, whether it be through Gold Belly or CPG products, or even now scaling through partnerships with ghost kitchen operators that are going to extend their delivery radius. And so I think that we're going to continue to see a shift um, where operators are going, you know, ghost kitchen operators are actually executing a lot of well-loved brands. Um, and, you know, finding ways to do that really effectively. I think we're going to see um, a lot of ghost kitchens within grocery stores and supermarkets as they double down on their food. And pretty much anywhere that's doing food that's not currently branded as a restaurant or like connected to a celebrity, I think will. Um, because I think that we're all playing with intellectual property now. and We're in the fight for the best content. And why wouldn't you take your food if you're a food service operator in a corporate cafeteria to the next level and work with a great brand to really invigorate your offering? Um, so, I mean, I could talk about this for forever, but I'm really excited about everything on the horizon. Um, I think the ghost kitchen model is still working out. I mean, you know, even working out its kinks, you know, thinking about what's happening within ghost kitchen facilities. I really think that Ghost kitchen facilities are also going to converge towards more national oriented brands where, you know, you're literally just offloading excess volume into dark kitchens. But I don't think they're for up and coming brands that need to be established in a new market. And so I think that, too, is going to evolve as we think about as we see, you know, these ghost kitchen infrastructure providers also evolve their curation strategy when it comes to the brands that really work within those facilities. What would you say about that, Zach? I don't know. I'm curious to hear your comment <laughs> as a restaurant operator yeah. or like a restaurant owner, a bar owner. Of, you know. No, honestly, like I said, I haven't had much experience with the ghost kitchen aspect of this over the pandemic. For me, it was much more on pop-up side and we're still dealing with that. And I honestly feel like the climate or the industry has forever changed for us anyway, in terms of working with people like that. But as a consumer, I will say that, so I've learned so much today as, a, as an operator, but also as like what's coming down the line, I see everything you say making so much sense because to meet all the demand that's out there that hasn't changed since COVID, since things have, you know, blissfully, yeah. slowly, hopefully gone back to normal, um, things like we're going to be like, the, we're not going to want to give up some of the stuff that we took on during that yeah. experience, right? So I'm just really excited to see that, you know, it's been put in thoughtful hands like this and you guys are clearly executing on a, winning strategy uh, of, that I believe yeah. you know, will kind of dictate, I think, how the good ones look going forward. So for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I feel like it's a good merge between this like this new generation that's so obsessed with content and all of the, the, digi the, the digitization of the world. And it's this like, it's this melding point between that and then this, the food experience and the restaurant experience. So there's so many layers here and I agree. I feel like we could do an entire episode on this, just <laughs> yeah. talking about the future of this whole space. But, um, but no, that everything was, has become uh, on demand, you know, from food to television, to everything we do, everything's on demand now. It just makes sense that this would get better and better. And I think that's really right. a learning curve that we had to force in the last year. So it's, mm. it's, yeah. it's exciting to see that now delivery isn't just like a sad execution of something you would have got, a better version of if you had right. gone out for it, it's actually becoming like its own 
enjoyable experience. And I'm, I honestly, yeah. I've seen it get better and better. And I think that's going to continue. So, Although I do still think there's room for tater tot delivery and french fried delivery to end up to just as crispy and hot. Just saying. Just oh my God. There. When someone figures that out, it's going to be, yeah, exactly. you'd be like a billion dollars. You could put a man on the moon. A billion dollar yeah. You could put a man on the moon, but you can't. But you can't <laughs> deliver fries crispy. It'll happen. <laughs> That's going to be our line for this whole episode. We're just going to change the title. Let's tell our, let's tell Matt, Matt Lynch, that you could put a man on the moon, but can we keep tots crispy <laughs> when they're to go billion dollar question uh yeah exactly so well that was awesome Kristen. thank you so much for your thank perspective you so much, on yeah. that yeah, right. yeah and i think it's time for the tasting menu <laughs> i feel like we need to add a drummer like a thing yeah so this is just a rapid fire round we're doing this season three quick questions first thing that comes to mind place you've never been to but would love to visit Oh gosh. Um uh let's see. I I wanna go to Le Bernadette in Manhattan. I haven't gone yet. Yeah. I've never been either, actually. So. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's a good answer. Most people that say is. like a country and I've not heard of oh, that's, I a, that's a good answer. It's a tasting table, so I'm going food all the way. No, that was so good. I, <laughs> no, I that's kept true. thinking, that's... like, oh, I would want to go to Australia. I've never been to Australia. And then I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I should go to I should pick a restaurant. You're right. This is the tasting menu. <laughs> what am I thinking? You're in, like, one of the dining host. capitals of the world. You might as well take advantage <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. best restaurants, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, the, okay. So favorite late night order. Ooh, tacos all the way. Awesome. Wow. I, I fully agree Excellent with that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent option. Excellent uh, option. And finally, technology that you cannot live without. Oh, gosh. My AirPods. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that as we speak. <laughs> yeah, as we see, she's got them in. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> They are they I'm are very that. very handy and especially the new version that really like get get the noise cancellation yeah. in there so <laughs> oh. awesome well thank you so much again Kristen this was a really fun conversation today yeah. and um, I wish you all the best of luck mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll be taste testing some of your stuff as we in our in our travels yes. and I know I will. In, well I I'm just saying Zach <laughs> Zach already has you on standby here so yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. It's been great. <laughs> Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, Eat.News. Back of House has a team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore podcast and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. 